want to give thanks for the redemption you've given us through the blood of Jesus the Christ. And we thank you that you did not only save us individually to yourself to be your sons and daughters, that we have a personal relationship with you. We thank you for that. We also thank you that you've placed us into a family, even a visible family like this one at the branch here in Corvallis in a particular place, in a particular time. And we know that is by your wisdom that you have done that. And we recognize that our family is not perfect, that we sin, we even sin against each other as, as well as sinning against you. And we confess all of those things before you this morning. And we come to worship you. You are a God worthy of our worship and we, we long for you to be known in this world. And that's one of the things we want to ask you this morning is that you would hallow your name on this earth, that you would make it holy and known in places where it hasn't been known before. And we ask that you would raise up people even from this place, even from this small gathering, to go and to tell others who have never heard about Jesus. Would you work in our hearts to be people that send other people places? The, the, the laborers are few. The harvest is great and the laborers are few. And you've told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send forth laborers into his harvest. So we're asking that you would do that. And we do pray that if that means our own children, or our own friends and family would go to places where we would never see them again, we ask that you would send them to spread the fame of your name on this earth. It's more important than our comfort. It's more important uh, than our, uh, our families to see your name spread across the earth like the waters cover the sea is the most important thing in the world. And so we pray that you would do that. And we ask that you would help us as we, as we think about global missions and, and global work, that it, it would be from a heart that wants to do good to people, to show them Christ. And we, and we ask that as we have sent others out and others may be sent out, that it would be the song that we sang this morning, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. We want to see Christ spread uh, to every tongue, tribe, and nation. God, I pray that that wouldn't just be a global thing, but that would be something you would work in us as, as we tell our friends about you, as we live lives of, of holiness and godliness, also in relationship with those who don't know you, that with all boldness and humility, kindness and gentleness, you would give us words so, to speak to our friends, uh, telling them of the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would open our minds to, and hearts to receive food from your holy word. Um, plant it down deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness so the light of Christ could be seen even this day in our acts of deeds and our works of faith. We pray that you would build us up into maturity, that we might perform acts of love and service uh, to, to one another to the glory of God the Father. 
And we pray that you would do that with our, our ch- the churches that we partner with in the gospel. But you said, Paul said, uh, even if the preaching of Christ is done from rivalry or conceit, we rejoice in that the gospel is preached. And we thank you that we have many churches in this area that do not preach the gospel from rivalry or conceit. We pray that that would be our aim. And we pray as we partner together, they'd be good gospel partnerships that would show forth your, your son Jesus in his humility, but also in his kingship. And so we pray for Northwest Hills Church. We pray for Grace City Church and, and Calvin Presbyterian who let us use their building yesterday free of charge. We thank you for them and we pray that you'd bless all of those churches in their preaching of the gospel. And we pray that you would bless us now as we open your word and dive into this book that tells us the good news is for those who least expect it. We pray that it would capture our hearts, our affections, our minds, our our wills. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Luke chapter 3 this morning. So we continue the sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. This is the gospel that goes to the unlikely, the, the, those who don't expect grace, those who uh, many think don't deserve grace. This is uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going universal, that J- Jesus must be the Lord of all, so the gospel can go to all. And last week we started uh, this first part of this sermon about the way of the Lord, John came from the wilderness, began his ministry coming out of the wilderness, proclaiming this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the sign of that was baptism. Uh, It's interesting that these people didn't need to be convinced that baptism was something they needed to do. It was was part of the, the religious landscape. And so they came Uh, And John was an Old Testament prophet speaking the word of the Lord, related to Jesus uh, by family, but also uh, by proclamation, the message they proclaimed. Here this weird guy comes out of the wilderness, the desert, you know, eating locusts and honey and wearing weird clothes, you know, what everyone thinks about an Old Testament prophet, that was John. And we were taught yesterday uh, that the Old Testament prophets were they, were, they were covenant lawyers, prosecuting attorneys, telling the nation of Israel to return to God. And here comes John. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, by telling them their warfare is ended. And John says, come, believe, repent of your sins, and bring forth fruit worthy of repentance, because the way of the Lord is coming to end your warfare with him. So John, the last prophet of the Old Testament, has a clear and cogent and provocative message that I think his hearers got. 
And one of the effects of, uh, of a faithful ministry is to set men and women thinking. And that's what John does. As he, the first part of this sermon, he proclaims, and then they come up and they ask questions. They, they, they're starting to think, and you can see that. And in verse 15, as, as Mackenzie read for us, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, the people were thinking, we know about Messiah, we've read about Messiah, and we have some conception of him. Maybe it's John. And can you imagine being John at this time? It would be a test of your humility, wouldn't it? Uh, people are coming up, and I heard one pastor say they had the T-shirts, right? You remember, uh, remember Napoleon Dynamite? Vote for Pedro. It was like, <laughs> vote for John the Baptist, and it's a test of his humility. Are you the Christ? And I can imagine, like, am I the Christ? I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, I'm kind of doing cool stuff, and I think the Lord has called me, and I was separated from, and I'm told that I leaped in my mother's womb, but then, oh yeah, why did I leap? Because I was in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus. So it's a good sign that these people are thinking, their minds engaged, but it's, it's not a repentance unto faith or unto life yet. John is going to show them the way. And the way to their heart, their affections, is through their head. And dear, dear friends, dear people of the branch, we must remember that. The, the way to the heart is not through the stomach, like most men. The way to the heart is through the head, and he gets them thinking. And, and, and the thing that he is trying to provoke them to is to return to the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? The way of the Lord we saw last week was through repentance for forgiveness of sins, and now it's the way of the Lord is the way of, of forgiveness of sins. It's a baptism of suffering and sonship. So he's, he's getting at them in their minds. They're thinking, are you the Christ? And in other places in Scripture, we know that John vehemently denies this. No, I am not the Christ. No, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. But in Luke, this gospel to the unlikely Luke tells us that John answers them with this image. And he shows us in his answer the way of the messenger. This is the way of the messenger in verse 16. John answers all, them all saying, I baptize you with water. This is an outward sign for forgiveness of sins. I'm baptizing you with water, this sign. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of his sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The way of the messenger, the way John shows us, is pointed away from himself to the one who is actually going to do the forgiveness of sins. The one who is actually going to forgive sins. The one who is actually going to do the cleansing. The way of the messenger is to point away from self he must increase and I must decrease and point to the greatness of the Christ, the Messiah. Again, can you imagine the temptation John must have felt to take credit, to be the man? His ministry was pretty good. I may not be the Christ, but I am the man. You know, I'm him, as the kids say. No, kids don't say that. I think they do. All the football players do. But John does not say that. The way of the messenger, friends, is 
humility, pointing away from ourselves. So as we take the gospel to our friends and our family, we must remember we're pointing away from ourselves. Too, too many times we, we get into evangelistic conversations possibly, and we want to win an argument, an apologetic argument, but the way of the messenger is to point away from ourselves, to point to Christ. John the Baptist says, I'm nothing compared to him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, friends, the, this may be lost on us, but uh, the foot was kind of a gross thing. I mean, maybe to some of you, it still is a gross thing. Uh, feet are uh, their feet. We walk on them. But in that day, they walked on them in sandals, and, and the dirt of the road and the scum of the road would get on, on the feet. And, and rabbis, the, the students would serve the rabbis, but that's one thing the rabbis would not ask them to do is to untie their shoes. In fact, Hebrew slaves wouldn't even do it. That was, that was reserved for Gentiles, the lowest of the low slaves. And John is understanding himself in light of Christ, of, and, and, and the separation of, of, of creature and creator, and the, the, the Christ and the, the sinner. And he's saying, I'm not even worthy to untie this sandal. Christ said that among women, there's no one greater born than John the Baptist. And he says, I'm not... I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandal. It's the way of the messenger is humility. And you remember that the same Christ that was greater than John in this way would stoop down and wash his disciples' feet. This is the way of the Lord. Is the way of the messenger is, is humility. And friends, the thing about humility is, is, is that it's not thinking less of yourself. As someone has said, maybe C.S. Lewis, it's thinking of yourself less. And it doesn't mean we never say controversial or hard things. Actually, only truly humble people can say hard things that matter because they do not think of themselves as that important. Now, it's true. Some people will say hard things in the wrong way because they want to provoke a response, they want to get followers and clicks and, like and, and likes, and, and yet, in the way of the messenger, in the way of the Lord, it is humility. It's yet not I, but Christ in me. Humility, John says. I am, I'm not that important. Jesus the Christ is the way, and he's better than me. Look at him. Friends, if you ever leave this place or when you leave this place and go to another church, look for a church that points away from themselves and points to Jesus. That's the church you want to be a part of. Look for a pastor who points to Christ and says, follow him, not me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. The way of the messenger is humility. And, and humility points to the way of Christ. That's what John does. He, he, he continues on in his, his sermon to point to Christ in his ways. I baptize you with water, but one is coming that's gonna baptize you with the spirit and fire. The way of the messenger is humility, and the, the way of Christ is this baptism and the gathering of his people. He says, there's one coming that's gonna baptize with the spirit and with fire, and then he goes on to use this 
analogy, this, this metaphor in, in verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat in his barn, but the chaff will, be, will burn with unquenchable fire. So John tells the crowd that while this bapti- his baptism with water is symbolic, you know, the, the baptisms we do when we do baptisms in water, they, they are a symbol and a, and a sign of something that's, that's real, that has happened inside the heart. That's what John's baptism was. It was, a, it, was a, it was a sign of forgiveness of sins. But it's only pointing to something that's a reality in Christ. The Christ, Jesus, when, when he comes, he's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. It's pointing to a real cleansing, a real purification, a real life with God. He's going to baptize with the Spirit. He's, baptism is an immersion into water. And Christ, when he came, came to baptize, to immerse people in the spirit. This was the way to God, to, to cleanse them by forgiveness of sins, and, and, and the spirit would now live with them. Now, it's confusing in our day and age when we hear there's a spirit baptism as a second thing in Christianity. As if when you become really spiritual, when you really become a Christian, you're baptized with the spirit. That's not that's not a thing. Every person who is a Christian is fully immersed in the Spirit. The Spirit is in them, and they are in the Spirit. The, the thing about it is sin still remains with us. But it's not a second baptism that cleanses us from that sin. That process is called sanctification, which is by grace and grace alone. I'll fight my sin by grace and grace alone through sanctified effort. But this baptism that Jesus is doing is, he is immersing with the Spirit. It's a whole new thing in the world. And Pentecost will show us this new thing in a new way, in a new age, where sons and daughters are, 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 are given the Spirit without measure. And the Spirit of God who hovered over the waters at the beginning is the agent of salvation. How it comes to mankind, the Spirit brings it to them. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, can I put it this way, are conspiring for your good right now. They were then, at the beginning of the creation, in the beginning of the the new creation as Jesus was bringing this new salvation into the world. He brought order from chaos at the beginning, and now Christ is bringing redemption to the chaos of this sin-cursed world. And the image he uses is baptism, this this immersion into water. Water baptism is a picture of an inward reality. It's also a picture of, uh, he uses the picture of fire, but fire can be used as, uh, as cleansing and purification and and. So some scholars think that, that the baptism of the spirit and fire are, are being used to talk about what he is going to do for his people. And, and some scholars believe that the fire is, is reserved for judgment. And, and so I, I just want you to know, I, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I, I, I'm, I'm going with the fact that, um, that, that John is saying uh, that he is going to cleanse his people with, with, with the Holy Spirit and with fire, baptism and the gathering of his people. 
He is going to purify them. He's going to give them the spirit. He's going to gather to them together in, his, in this metaphor is the, is in the barn. So this baptizing and gathering of his people, the winnowing fork is in his hand and he's, he's taking up the wheat and he's throwing it up in the air and he's separating the wheat and the chaff. That may be lost on us. Has anyone ever done that before? Does anyone? Oh, okay, one person here. I should have talked to you before. But for me, it's uh, uh, the better metaphor for me is when I roast coffee in my, in my air popper, there's this little chaff on the kernel. And, and the, when, it, when it, on second crack, right? No, nobody cares about this but me. Maybe one or two of you. The, 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 the chaff comes up and the, and the air popper blows the chaff away. I gather it and I throw it in the compost bin because it's not good in the coffee. And, 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 and so it, this is similar to what is happening. The wheat in the chaff, they're throwing it up, they're separating. And, and what Jesus is saying is uh, that he, he is making a distinction between those who are baptized in the spirit and who are purified and cleansed and, and those who are not. Those, those who reject his salvation, reject the way of the Lord. But isn't this kindness from God? He's, he's warning. This is a warning. In our rooted ministry that meets on Wednesday nights, we talked a little bit about this. And one of the, one of the young men put into our minds uh, an image uh, about this. Judgment is coming. It is, is as if you saw your friends blindfolded in the street and a semi-truck was headed right for them. Would you warn them of the coming destruction? Or would you just let the semi run over them saying, you just do you. You do what you want to do. I'm, it's your life. You can do whatever you want. No, friends, there is, there is a judgment of unquenchable fire coming for those who are not immersed into the life of God through the Spirit, who, are not, who have not repented of their sins and had faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And that is a sad thing. And didn't you want someone to tell you you were on that road to destruction? Judgment was coming for you, for me. Until my mom and dad told me, no, there is a way to escape that judgment. There's a way to escape the semi-truck judgment of God taking the blindfolds off. And God has done it all by sending his son. This is the way of the Christ. The way of the Christ is life. And the warning here is judgment. Christ is coming and he is he's separating the wheat from the chaff. And Judgment is coming, but there is a way back to the Lord. And Jesus himself is making that way. Friends, the Christ who brings judgment with the winnowing fork in his hand has taken the judgment on himself. He offers you, the way of Christ is to offer you life through his death in your place. He was immersed, baptized into the suffering of the wicked so that you could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He was separated and treated as the worthless chaff so that you might be gathered as the priceless wheat. Your life through his death 
The Old Testament tells us about this in Isaiah 53. It tells us that he, by, that is Jesus, the lamb, by oppression and judgment was taken away. That they made his grave with the wicked. Why? So that those who believe in him and the way of the Lord could have eternal life with the righteous. And friends, we're gonna talk about Jesus' baptism more next week. But let's just right here, what we need to know is that in verses 21 and 22, that Jesus is identifying with his people in his baptism. He didn't come for the forgiveness of his sins. He came to identify with his people, to be immersed in the waters of baptism, to show that he would, he would forgive their sins. And the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the Father spoke from heaven, saying, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And even the picture of baptism shows us this very thing, friends. We go from death to life. We are immersed into the waters of, of Jesus' death. His, his death is, our, our death is his death. He died for us and we, we get all of the benefits of that death. And, and in his resurrection life, we get all the benefits of that. It's from death to life. What is the way of the Christ is, is life through death. We'll see in a, a few weeks about this sonship. And how the Spirit led him into the wilderness to suffer temptation from the devil, right into identifying with us in our temptation and our sanctification. The way of the disciple, though, we see is not above his master. If Jesus, the perfect Son of God, would suffer, then what would be the way of his disciples, the way of his followers? Well, we see in verses 18 through 20, so with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. John was preparing the way of Christ in several different ways. One was to speak this message from an Old Testament text and also to speak this way of the Lord and repentance for repentance of sins, for forgiveness of sins, repentance for forgiveness of sins. But one of the ways that John also prepared was to walk a similar path of Christ and that was a path of suffering in which he calls all of his disciples into. So if you're not a Christian, you should count the cost of this way. The way of the disciple of Christ is not through ease, as one song put it. Should I float on a flowery bed of ease while others sought to win the prize and sailed the bloody seas? The way of the master is hard. It is through suffering that we get to glory. And John proclaimed this good news in his proclamation. He reproved Herod, the Tetrarch, for marrying his brother's wife. This was an incestuous relationship. Um, 
that even the people of the day could see this was not, this isn't good. Like, we're not going to say anything because that guy's in charge and he has the power of life and death. He has the power of sword. Uh, But John reproved him. He spoke up. He was put into prison for speaking a prophetic word. And apparently John had some sort of relationship with Herod. I don't know if it was before prison or after, but he was able to speak a word of reproof because he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to see Herod turn to righteousness. Now, an illustration, I'm gonna say something controversial. I rarely say controversial things, so I, I'm just warning you, okay? Uh, and it's okay if you, if you email me or we talk afterwards, that's totally fine. Um, and for some of you, you're going to be like, that, that wasn't controversial. But this is, anyway, okay, I've scared you enough. All right, so, but in 2020, 11 people were arrested for blocking the entrance to an abortion clinic, which was, by the way, against the law. Uh, the FACE Act says you can't interfere with that. So in 2020, uh, these people got arrested. And you should know that if you break the law, even if what you believe is for a righteous act, you must be willing to pay the cost for that, even if you believe it is unjust. But Paul was willing to do that. However, the point of this illustration is that at the time, abortion was legal in Tennessee. And these 11 protesters were convinced that the best way to reprove what was happening was through nonviolent protest, through nonviolent protest of these, uh, of the killing of, of innocent children. And they ended up in jail. The same thing happened to John. Now, it's not in a perfect analogy, okay? But uh, the inspired record of John was reproving Herod because he was preaching the good news. He, he wanted righteousness to prevail. But he also wanted Herod to know that Christ was separating the wheat and the chaff. And currently, Herod was the chaff. So whether you're protesting abortion or whether you're speaking out a, a against uh, same-sex marriage, that it's not right because it's not marriage, sometimes that's gonna get you in trouble. And, and in our country, it, it might just, you might lose the job, or you might lose the friendship. But, but speaking truth, even if it's in love, even if it's in the right tone, even, uh, even if it's your friend who you're speaking to, can get you in trouble, and, and this is the way of the disciple. Now, I, I'm not, listen, we, we all have friends who go overboard with this on social media and, and, and in person, and, and I'm not telling you that you have to go get arrested protesting abortion, but I, it's okay for Christians to say that is wrong, and, and, and we think the law should be changed. It is okay for you to say same-sex marriage is not actually marriage. I love you, but I disagree with you about that. It it may end you up. It may end in suffering for you. But like John the Baptist and like Christ, may our hearts, as as we say hard things to our friends, as we say hard things to our family, in the context, may we do it in the context of love. I have every reason to believe that John wanted Herod to repent and turn to Christ and follow the way of the Lord. 
Is that true for us in our relationships with our, with our friends who we disagree with? You too may have to reprove your friends and family, maybe for their immoral behavior and relationships. What will you do? Will you stay silent as the semi-truck of, of God's judgment is heading their way, or will you help them take the blindfolds off with the truth? Now, what will I do? I wrestle with this very question as I was preparing for this sermon. And, and my family can tell you that I was grumpy and short with them yesterday because I was anxious about saying the things that I just said. And, and I'm, if I was too unkind, please forgive me, and I would love to talk to you more about that. But why was, I, I had to wrestle with, why was I anxious about saying what I think are truthful but hard things? Well, it's because I care too much about my reputation and whether you are going to like me or not. I know that's not something that a pastor is supposed to admit from the pulpit, but it's true. And we all struggle with that to some degree or another. But friends, out of love for people and out of love for Jesus, our suffering Savior, let us tell the truth, even if it means telling our friends and family that they're wrong in certain areas. But let us do it with humility. That's the way of the messenger. Humble, remembering such were some of you. You also were in the way of judgment until God took your blinders off and saved you from the wrath to come. That's the way of the messenger. Do it with humility. Knowing that one time we were the worthless chaff, ready to be put into eternal fire. Let us do it pointing away from ourselves and pointing to our great Christ, pointing to the way of Christ, who, who, is going, who wants to immerse people into life through his own death. May we die to the love of our reputation and, and the desire for people to like us more than anything. Let us die to that so that people might have the life of God, the life of God through our words and telling the gospel. And let us do it not fearing suffering, but knowing that suffering is the path to glory. Friends, this is the way of the Lord. This is the way God has called us to as his people. And dear friend, if, if you're not a Christian or these words offended you greatly, I encourage you to turn to the Bible, turn to Christ, turn to the way of the Lord. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The way of the Lord is through repentance for forgiveness of sins. The way of the Lord involves Humility, the great humility of our own Christ who bowed down to wash his, his disciples' feet, who gave up his own life as a ransom for even you, that he might immerse you into the very life of God. May we follow his way of suffering for his glory, knowing that our suffering will lead to glory.